with David Ian and Kate Dale. The show that plums the depths of mediocrity, celebrates the ordinary, and enjoys the everyday. Hi everyone, welcome to Mediocre Gay, the podcast. I am David Ian. And I'm Kate Dale. So Kate, what's been mediocre for you this week? I wanted to celebrate the humble spreadsheet. None of your Apple numbers, numbers. Google Sheets nonsense, but your proper Microsoft Excel. Specifically Microsoft Excel, yes, okay. because it's the one I know how to use-ish. I mean, like, there is something so beautifully satisfying when you've got all your formulae set up and you put in a number or data there and it just all trickles through. And when you've worked... I can link different sheets now. Mm. I've even been able to dig different dink, link dink. different workbooks. And can you do? Just, can you write all the formulas and everything? Some of them. I I'm mean, impressed. not like massive. I, I wouldn't have imagined. I know. Having seen you Live. operate your phone, <laughs> attempt to use Instagram. Yeah. The other day when you thought you were posting something, you just private messaged me, and I, I had mean, to be I like, nobody else can see this. <laughs> very nearly an Ed Balls, really, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. Uh, okay, who have we got this week, Kate? This week we've got an amazing director uh, whose work I've been lucky enough to see a few times. And in the summer, no, it wasn't the summer, it was the autumn, actually. He did this fantastic uh, play with Maureen Lippmann, goddess that she is called Rose, which is fantastic, um, but there's many more to come, so I want to welcome Scott Lacrasse. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good, a little bit flustered, uh, train delays, um, but other than that, I feel really good. I'm I mean, really we're just excited. grateful when trains are running at the moment, right? We, I mean, we, yeah, it's, it's a blessing, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, um, Scott, tell us, uh, so, as I said, I the last play of yours I saw was Rose. Yeah. What was it? This is a really cheesy celeb question, isn't it? Was it like working with Dame? I think it is Maureen Littman. Yeah. It was wonderful. Did you have to use the Dame every time? No, you no, no, not at all. Just the first um, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a really positive experience. Um, I think because the process of when we streamed it to actually it being um, a live version has been so long, I think the development of how we've worked together and the development of the production has been. It's been a really, I hate the word organic in that sort of mm. term, but it was very organic and it felt very natural and effortless. It was great. Really great to work with her. Are you now friends? We are. Um, we text. We text quite That's a lot. friends? Yeah, I went, to a, I went to a dinner party with her last week. Oh, right. We text. Which was, we really lovely, <laughs> which was really lovely. Um, she's so um, kind and supportive and, um, yeah. Text. Mm. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, great. I was going to ask about that because the first version of those were well that you that you directed with. I was going to call her Maureen. I don't think I can call. Her no, Maureen. I don't think you, you should. Date Maureen. Um, was that during the lockdown, wasn't it? And so I watched it in lockdown, and then went to see it live. And how different was it? It was obviously a different experience watching it. That was one of the few live theatre things that I saw during lockdown, and it was just glorious to see live theatre even from a living room. But seeing it, it was incredible watching it in, in the theatre. Couldn't hear it. Must pinball. have been very different. It was really different. Um, I think for me, because it was uh, originally a play, mm. um, I was quite conscious about kind of holding on to the fact that it was a play. But because it, we were kind of experiencing this idea of streaming and being a bit more intimate with it, and it was a and it's a one person piece, I wanted to kind of almost approach it as a sort of hybrid. Other two things of creating something for screen, but also 
not kind of uh, stepping away from it being a theatrical piece. Um, it was, there were two really different experiences. Obviously, you don't have an audience when you're streaming it and you're just filming. Um, so the comedy really came to the surface mm. in the live version yeah. because you can hear the laughs. Yeah. And there's that kind of very um, direct, immediate connection with the audience. Comedy's two-way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I believe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not at our shows. She was terrifying when the live show that I saw because somebody got their mobile phone out. So she told them off in character, obviously. She stayed in character. Yeah, I and, she just, and because of the way that performance is, it, it was kind of a smooth way of doing it. But yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what's interesting about that is because of the context of the piece and because of what she's doing, although she's sitting shiver, I think the idea of someone having a phone mm. out would be disrespectful at that kind of point. So mm. it does work yeah. in the context of the play. Um, yeah, I saw it in the show before. To <laughs> <laughs> be clear, it was not me. Yeah. <laughs> I think the lady doth protest too much. It was not me. Um, I would not do that. No, because you'd have accidentally made even more noise, probably. <laughs> She'd have been live streaming the whole thing by mistake from her pocket. Um, so the original version that you did, was it always intended to be a streamed thing or were you originally going to be doing it on stage and then because of covid you had to stream or it was in no it was originally intended to be streamed um the production was originally done in, um, at the national in 1999 so it's an on-stage piece and i thought it would work well as a stream piece and then the response that we had from streaming it was so positive that i i think all of us collectively thought i think we should do this again when we can kind of all yeah kind of be in the same space so yeah, it sort of started as a streaming and then it became the reality of doing it live. So it's great. Amazing. And Scott, how long have you been directing? How, let's go back to you now then. So how did you get into... Was directing what you always wanted to do and how did you get involved? No, um, I actually trained as an actor. Um, so I went to drama school, did, um, did my uh, acting training and then I kind of realised that I didn't want to be an actor as I was kind of in my final year. Um, but I still did it. I kind of felt like... It's it what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I was, I, I did it, but kind of, I think, quite honestly, a bit half-heartedly. I wasn't fully invested in it. Uh, but I think I was becoming interested in the other side of things. And I actually had an opportunity to go back to my drama school to work on a final show the following year, but as an assistant director. And then I thought, I think that's what I want. I think I want to be on the other side of things. And then it just sort of became a bigger kind of um focus for me yeah and then I became a teacher weirdly um I start. I sort of um uh, worked in further education for nearly four years and I was directing but with very very large groups of young people people who were training so that kind of gave me a bit a deeper understanding of it and then I went I want to do it as a as a mm. kind of uh, a career and then I didn't kind of I'm not an actor anymore <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it amazes me looking at your of can we call it, can we use that word uh, of work body of body of work that's a nice proper directorial word isn't it body of work phrase. it's such a difference in the types of I think I would have assumed if I'd even thought about it that directors or one subject or one they're Shakespearean or they do but you've done kids stuff because you do Elmo yeah, yeah. every time we go past it you know there's an Elmo in Elephant and Castle yeah I'm not telling people where you live. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're on my actual address. I always, anyway. You know that <laughs> I always think of you, Scott, every time I see Elmo now. So I've got those two things linked in my head. But from Elmo to the community theatre that you've done to sort of big serious pieces, what draws, is there something, there's probably not a thread that connects all of that. I suppose some of it is what work is available, pragmatically. But what, 
What do you look for in a piece that draws you in? It's interesting. I thought you were going to ask that question, so I sort of prepped a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think I'm quite interested in outsiders. Yeah. I think that's always the thing, kind of. That's the bit that draws you in. That's the thing that really draws me, I think. Like, even though Elmer was a kid's show, it was a show for young mm. audiences, and, but Elmer's an outsider. He's different from everybody else. Mm. And even though from the outside you just think, oh, it's a patchwork elephant, actually it's about understanding your differences. Um, and then if you look by contrast at something like Rose, Rose is an outsider. Yeah. She talks about not feeling like she's part of something at points. And I think that is in, in terms of characters and, and the idea that people are on the periphery of something, but also I think kind of thematically, I think I naturally lean towards things that have a working class voice as and when, um, something that is sort of, LGBTQ linked, or if it's kind of discussing something to do with mental health, um, or something to do with um, older voices as well. Those sorts of things really excite me in work. And when those things sort of cross over, when there's a kind of intersectionality with those things, even it, it's even more exciting. That's not a hard and fast rule, but generally there will always be one of those things that is part of the work. What type of project would you say has been your, like, your favourite that, that you would go back to? Oh, wow. That's... Not necessarily an actual piece, but, like, a type, like... A type of project? Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Um, I think... Ooh. I think maybe... That's a very good question. What type of work? Look what at me. What type of project <laughs> <would I like? laughs> <laughs> Let's tally him up because he's got my question. Um, Goodness. So, <laughs> oh, you know. Um, no. <laughs> I think um, the things that I would maybe sort of um, do more of, which I am excited by, is I do a lot of um, open air and outside um, outdoor theatre. Um, and I really enjoy that. And I like making work in non traditional theatre spaces. And I've kind of dipped my toe a little bit of making work in untraditional theatre space. I did, I did a play in a, in a hotel room, which was like really fascinating. And I became really kind of um, obsessed with how we move the audience from space to space. Mm -hmm. I'd like to do more of that, I think, because I do the work outside, which is a non-traditional theatre space, but like taking spaces that we really don't, wouldn't necessarily think of theatre. And I think... I think it's to do with the fact that I'm interested in making a space, a, theater, a performance space, mm. but also I'm really interested in trying to encourage people who aren't traditional theatre goers to, to, access it, it, yeah. to access it. Because I think sometimes when you see these kind of very ornate, mm. big, grand theatres, you think that's not for that's me. That's not for me. It becomes a barrier, essentially, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And I want people to be able to access it. So it's kind of an artistic thing, but it's also about access as well. Yeah. And you're working on two plays at the moment, aren't you? How does that work, juggling? And then we're getting to both of what they are. And they're very, very different, they're aren't they? They're completely different, yeah. So um, I think I was having this conversation today with my friend um, who we were talking about, she was asking me about what, uh, we were talking about kind of uh, balancing projects. And I said, as a director, you kind of need to have lots of them on the go uh, at the same time. You're spinning multiple plates. Um, and it's to do, a lot of it's to do with things like timing, that one show will... Uh, <laughs> going to rehearsals when another show is just about opened. And uh, they're, both, they're both pieces that um, open next month, 
but they open at different points in the month. So that it's kind of, it's just about kind of when you when you're kind of in in the driving seat a little bit more, as it were. I hate that kind of phrase, but what I mean by that is that you have more control over the schedule. So you can kind of go. Actually, this is really not convenient now. Yeah. Could yeah, we boss. do an evening on this yeah. day? And actually, it gives a little bit more space to its project. So it's just about kind of being. And what are the two projects? So I am doing a revival of a Stephen Burkoff play called Harry's Christmas at the King's Head Theatre. It is a really performed piece. I think because of the content, it's quite a heavy going play. There's content warnings on the website. Um, it really addresses something in a quite direct way. It talks about loneliness and mental health. Uh, at Christmas. Which is really relevant. Which is really relevant. Yeah. And I read the play in 2020 and I thought, I really want to do this. I know it's really kind of dour, but actually for me, there's a reason of wanting to do it because I think that theatre can exist beyond the space that we see it in. And I like the idea of um, someone seeing that piece and might they might be feeling like that character on stage or they might have an inclination that someone else might be feeling like that, so they connect with them. So even though it's quite a heavy piece, I feel like there's something that you can take from it that is, um, I don't want to say uplifting, I think that you can take something that, that has a sort of a meaning. So Harvest Christmas is uh, an alter alternative Christmas show, I would say. Love it. Uh, quite heavy, but has a, it's very provocative. And then, by contrast, I'm doing a one-person karaoke panto. <laughs> um, <laughs> a naughty Is it you? <laughs> In my wildest dreams. <laughs> um, it's a naughty-themed karaoke panto. So there's loads of references to... That sounds epic. Where yeah. is that? That's at Omnibus Theatre, and that's on at various dates throughout December. Um, that's, again, one person, so it connects, but and it's sort of... Christmassy, festive, but um, it's totally different in the fact that no performer ever does the show twice. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we have a different performer every night, a different guest performer. We've got an amazing lineup of people. Um, and it is, it's brilliant because it really pushes me in, in a very different direction. Like Harry's Christmas, it's very text-based and yeah. having to be kind of very... Um, uh, it's more planned, whereas this anything could happen. Um, and uh, the piece is called Cinderella. Mm -hmm. um, and Cinderella is um, uh, the, the performer comes in, the audience know that the performers had no rehearsal, so they are prepped in, in a way as much as you can be about a show that you've never read. Um, there is a mic, there is a screen, and um, the performer will sight read wow. show. Uh, shows okay. just under an hour. They were slightly to show this mixture of songs because it's got karaoke theme, and they play all of the characters, or almost all of the That's characters. So amazing. Yeah. Oh. God, the challenge in directing that. So obviously, it's setting it up so that it can actually functionally work, and they get yeah. the cues and the, the prompts and things that they need. But do you then meet with each performer and then sort of brief them and do? Is there any rehearsal whatsoever? Or? Well, there's a. Um, so we have. Um, what we call a cheat sheet. So it gives you like, a little bit of information about the characters and a, a bit of information about what will happen. And then we give the performers the option of saying, look, if you want to kind of talk to us about anything else, additionally, 
than you can, can do. Yeah. Um, we obviously won't let them see the script, but we can kind of talk more about the shape, mm. more about the logistical stuff. Uh, so it's quite different from Harry's Christmas in the fact that there's a lot more to do with logistics. Yeah. Um, and uh, the wonderful writer of it, Tom Riles, uh, Tom and I have met several times to kind of talk about the script and there'll be notes that I give them and suggestions for things. So it's a very different process because it's a new piece as well. Yeah. There's a, a different dialogue. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. We will make sure at the end of this we'll put the details out right, so that we can... Much. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I will be booking definitely both, I think. Yeah, good to have Dark and Light. So moving on to, to our questions, um, can you? what does the word mediocre mean to you or the idea of mediocrity? Something that's mediocre is, in my mind, maybe something that is sort of every day. That's a pretty good... Yeah. Do you know what? Everybody else <laughs> struggles and it takes them ages to say it and you're like, here's a sentence that makes complete sense. And then there's every day. There's, and something that doesn't necessarily need to... Um, show off or doesn't need to be validated that's nice that's, yeah. yeah oh god I'm not mediocre <laughs> that's <laughs> I need most... to show off because mediocrity I think can be great yeah I think there's something wonderful in that like the first guest that has got this courage. <laughs> really? I was going to say, yeah, yeah you're the I'm first one. Surprised. Yeah. yeah. Oh, people have quite emotional reactions to mm. it and either rejecting it and saying I don't believe that mediocre exists because everything has to be amazing and special and I think that partly comes out of all those good things we have now about, you know, everything should be celebrated and we're all wonderful. I'm sounding flippant about that, but it's important that we don't judge ourselves. So I think some emotional reactions like that, or some are people's absolute fear of things being me mediocre and that terror that they, or me, their yeah. work, or their uh, whatever is mediocre. But I think there are, I think there are quite, there can be quite negative sort of connotations with that word. Because like, if you think about mm. like at school, you might yeah. have been said, oh, you're really mediocre at something. Mm. So um, there's the association of the word average. Mm. Yeah. Average can seem really bad. And I think, I mean, I think with a lot of things you have to have, you, you can be amazing at something and like, like excel at it. But also you can't be good at everything. You can't be good yeah. at everything. Exactly. And not everybody can be good at everything yeah. as well because that would be also yeah. really strange. It would be intense. Yeah, really intense. Yeah. So what's something that you love but generally other people think is mediocre? Um, I thought about this on the train. Uh, had a, a lot. <laughs> you had a long time, yeah. <laughs> so um, I something that I really like. So I've got this kind of um, I wouldn't say fetish, but I have this thing about um, like kitchenware and about things that like belong in kitchens, like sets of things. So if something belongs in a set, I'm really <laughs> obsessed with it. <laughs> what, like oh gosh, <laughs> sets of tubs and things. Yeah, like, like pots obsessed and... with it. Yeah, really obsessed with it. So, like, when things like... But only in kitchens? Yeah, like, in kitchens. That is so So, specific. like, when things fit into things, oh. like, sets, or when things stack, or colour-coded things, and I think are really smart. I love things like that. I think it's... Does that like, mean that you love Joseph Joseph? Yeah. Obviously. Things like that, yeah. <laughs> but, like, when you see, like, um, those sets of glasses that, like, and you think, oh, wow, that's quite a sort of simple thing, but they stack upon each yeah. other. I think... Things like that are quite Yeah, brilliant. they're quite cool, actually. Yeah. Or like mugs that sort of... That, yeah. yeah. How do you feel about a mug tree, then? Because I they make me really uncomfortable. I, I think, think that's a, a really untidy tree. way of having yeah. your mugs. Mug trees are practical, but they don't... I was going to say they don't get me excited, but they, they don't, <laughs> like... <laughs> very strange. Then, 
Um, but they're clunky, aren't they? And they're yeah. not aesthetically. No, I don't like them. I think they're quite old-fashioned now, yeah. aren't they? I don't know that people um, really have them. I associate them with pine kitchens. Yeah. Mm. A yeah. pine mug tree. I'm trying things, to think what like, else you have fitting together. Like things like like cheese knives or things like. How do you feel about a cutlery set? You know, like a fancy cutlery set in a box. It. Yeah. Love it. Love things. Love a canteen. You've got one. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I love. I love it when things have a have like sets of things. I love it. I used to have tantrums every Christmas when we had to put our family, and this makes it sound, it was just silver plate. It wasn't like fancy silver cutlery. We'd get it out for Christmas and then have to put it, and everything goes. And they had two different knives, but of slightly different sizes. You had to work out which was which, and I would just have tantrums. Mm. No, I know. It's exciting, actually. I do remember. It's one of my favourite things yeah. at Christmas is with all the cutlery coming out of yeah. the little box. And, yeah. and it's like having special. There is something satisfying about things going back neatly into a place as well. Yeah, and also the practicality of it. Like, so practical things that kind of look you go, oh that's really obvious but really beautiful like things like 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 drinks charms but i think that's really obvious drinks but, charms yeah, yeah you know when you have like you, um, you, you oh like my this. gosh welcome to the world of drinks charms so um <laughs> this is really really I'm, I'm not i mean i'm not saying anything that's brand new but when you get like um if you have people over and they've all got their wine glasses, uh, the way to identify whose glasses mm. is with a charm. With a charm. So it stops people stealing. Oh my your... god! Yes. <laughs> Do it all the time with his drinks. Yeah. I'm like, which one of these is mine? Because you've yeah. deliberately put our identical drinks down next to each other. Drinks um, charms. Yeah. Perfect. Right. <laughs> we'll be getting some of those. <laughs> They're great. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Is there something in like? It... Everything having its place. Is there something in that, do you think? Is it like like sets are very neat and tidy? It's almost like putting things in a box. So maybe. everything being very put together, I feel like maybe there's maybe. something in that. I have a lot of kitchenware at home. You have a big kitchen? Yeah, it's an all right size. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's a bit excessive. I've got like loads of glassware and I'm like, why do I need all of this? Why do I need 30 wine glasses? Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a, even you couldn't get through <laughs> that many wine glasses. Even I, I would try. I would do my best. I say I'm not trying to make some clever connection between the organising and stories and lots of things in their places and being a director because it feels like that. You take all the yeah. the actors, the text, the, everything, and you create. Mm. I think I'm reaching a No, I think there must be something, something there. I don't know what it is. About organising and, I mean, it's more to do with directing than organising. I appreciate that, but. There's something it feels it's interesting though because like because I'm uh, because when when you direct you have to kind of make lots of decisions all the time in real life I don't like to make decisions like where should we go to eat I, I, I don't want to think about that yeah where should we go for coffee I don't want to think about that I hear you <laughs> I feel yeah. the same yeah Just relinquish any sort of yeah. yeah well when you spend all day long literally making decisions for other people it's yeah. nice to not have to do yeah. that when you come home i think that makes total sense it makes complete sense and it must be quite carrying the weight of a production on your it's on your shoulders isn't it i guess and the whole cast and crew playing their part but it's your decision and your how does that yeah. do you feel the weight of that responsibility like i think it for for me it's sort of um uh, you do you can feel it i think it's about i, I feel like a kind of a kind of like a connective tissue between the whole show it feels like you're the person that's always having to communicate with lots of yeah. different people um yeah I think I think it's about um making sure I like when I'm rehearsing something or, or making a show I like that everyone to be involved to be as happy as possible with every step of the way and I try to have a rehearsal room that 
full of like um, laughter, positivity. Um, and that's the way that I work. And it feels like that works in the work, in the presentation of yeah. the work. Even though the, 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 a lot of the pieces that I do can be quite heavy. Um, but I think it's, um, it's about how you then manage that yourself and about how you um, find ways of not allowing that to overwhelm you. Um, yeah, I've worked on some shows that you think, oh, wow, this is quite intense. But actually, I think one of the, one of the first steps about not allowing that to consume you, consume you is to be aware that it's intense. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go, okay, I just need like a little bit of time just to decompress. Boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries, yeah. Boundaries. And it is, it is a job at the end of the day, isn't it? And not in a negative way. And I think there's something that must be really difficult, I think, or not difficult, important with something creative that it does consume you, but it is a job. And therefore, mm. at the end of whatever the working day looks like, which is obviously not nine to five, but you walk away and you go and do something different. Yeah. Yeah. And that's mm. sort of... Shift your brain. Yeah, I think that's important as well to also have things that are not just the work. Yeah, sorry, Christian, we talked about how you're drawn to work, and this is going back a bit, where um, sort of for outsiders, do you, this is going to be one of those impossible questions to answer because you haven't been a straight director, you've only ever been a, a director who's gay, haven't you? So, yeah. But coming from growing up as a queer person mm -hmm. and therefore having been imagine feeling othered and different all the way through that that is what draws you to that even if it's not specifically an lgbt massively i mean yeah totally that um i i kind of i feel that's that that kind of lived experience really helps the work mm. um and not all the time i don't i haven't like lived the lives that some of the characters that i'm kind of in the world that i'm kind of unpacking have lived but I think that um, there is a, yeah, there is a connection in terms of feeling like you're on the periphery. Um, yeah. And um, the others are just more interesting. Yeah. 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 And I think that, um, it, yeah, it is something that, it, yeah, there's more, there's more to it that, that is kind of, yeah, it, it, it's, it's okay being on the edge of something. Sometimes yeah. it can feel... It isn't great, but sometimes actually embracing that and using that as your kind of like superpower or something, yeah. I guess is quite cool. I like that. So the last question we ask is, what is mediocre about you? Oh, what is mediocre about me? Um, what is mediocre about me? It's probably a, like a long list of things. What is mediocre about me? Um, what is mediocre about me? I'm not not answering because I'm like, <laughs> thinking nothing. <laughs> My um, humility is very mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is mediocre about me? Um, I think, I think sometimes the fact that I, things don't always need to be complicated. And what I mean by that is like just enjoying things that are quite simple and not sort of fussy. Um, so things like going for a walk mm -hmm. can be seen as, oh, that's boring. But actually, I find that quite therapeutic or. Um, well, uh, yeah, I think I think that's something things that just I, I sometimes get joy from things that people just 
might think oh, that's quite um yeah that's just not very not very interesting um but it works for you but it works for me yeah and you've worked that out that's yeah. the key thing isn't it knowing yourself enough to know right well actually what i need now is a walk yeah there's something as well about knowing that and then not being embarrassed or to do it because if other people might think it's a bit bland or dull or boring or whatever it is they're not being embarrassed about that i think that's important too as well yeah. but that can take quite a lot the amount of stuff i've done because oh god failed efforts to look cool that's clearly never gonna look cool so. <laughs> <laughs> it's never gonna look cool yeah at least you tried <laughs> <laughs> okay where can we find you online you can find me on twitter uh do you want to give you my yep. twitter handle yes. um it's uh lacrasse so l-a excellent and instagram um, and instagram i think it's scott lacrasse Think. Have a look for Scott McCrass. <laughs> sorry, this is one question I've always wanted to ask. Well, and probably many others. Where does it's such an amazing surname? Where does it come from? It's, my, it's actually uh, from my mom's side of my family. Yeah. So um, my mom was one of seven, and there were six girls and one boy. So when um, when all of the daughters got married, they all changed their name, uh, except my uncle. Um, and I think my mom wanted me to keep the name kind of going. So I've kept the name and it, it kind of works, I think. It's good branding, isn't it? That's cool, awful. Yeah. That's a, is it a stage name? Like, no. No. Uh-huh. Real name, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and where can we find the details of the two shows you mentioned? Um, so you can find um, Harry's Christmas. That is at the King's Head. King's Head Theatre. So it will be on their website. It will be on their um, Twitter and Instagram and Great. Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also with three... Three, as in the number three, done theatre. Um, so that's their production as well. So you can find it on all of their socials. And then for um, Cinderella, that's our Omnibus Theatre. So you can find it on their socials as well, as well as Boy and Pen Productions. Excellent. Yeah. So we're going to check all of those out. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank that you. was great. Thank you, Scott. Uh, thanks for listening. You can find me online on Instagram at Mr. David Ian, or you can check out davidian.co.uk for full details of where Mediocre Gay is next. But it's coming back to London as part of Vault Festival uh, in January. So check it out then. And you can follow me on Instagram at Katie Dale. And we'll see you again soon. See, bye. Bye. for listening to Mediocre Gay, the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps other people find the show. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Mediocre Gay Pod or share your mediocre secrets with us on MediocreGayPod at gmail.com.